Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Stephen Kravitz. A book of love is long and boring. This is People of the Book with Stephen Kravitz. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM and we are joined over the line today by Peter Louis Mayberg. Marburg. He's the author of Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Machashule's Web of Capture. The book has been in the news. He has been called a liar. The book has been called, compared to the type of things that Stratcom put out, and Ace Machashule has also called the book Fake News. Here to tell his side of the story is the author himself, the biggest news story in Joburg at the moment, Peter Louis Marburg. Welcome to Chai FM. Hi, Stephen. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, good, good day to Chai FM's listeners. I'm going to ask you the question that everyone gets asked here on People of the Book. Please introduce yourself to our listeners in your own words, on your own terms, and I'd like to know who you are and your journalistic and publishing careers. Yeah, no, certainly, Stephen. So I'm an investigative journalist currently working at Daily Maverick's Scorpio investigations team. Um, so some of your listeners might be familiar with Foley von Weg's work on, uh, you know, the EFF and VVS. So that's one of my colleagues at Scorpio. Um, and then, of course, uh, Daily Maverick editor Branko Berkic is also very much involved in investigative work and sort of his... Um, Securing of the Gupta leaks emails actually led to South Africa being informed about the Gupta leaks and allowing journalists to unpack the Gupta leaks. So that's where I'm at now professionally. Um, I used to work before I joined Scorpio at Media 24's News 24 um, outlet and also at, at Rapport newspaper uh, in Johannesburg. So um, yeah, I've been doing some investigative work or focused on investigative reporting for. Quite a couple of years, I'd say in 2013, I really started getting into investigative journalism itself, and that then later fed into, um, you know, my my um, interest in issues that I thought needed to be unpacked in, in longer format, in book forms especially. So I wrote a book called The Republic of Gupta in 2017, and Gangster State is my second book, which was published recently. And on that book... I find the description of your book as fake news and as lies very upsetting. Gangster State, I've read it, is meticulously researched and it conveys facts. What you've uncovered in your research and what people in interviews have told you. You might not, people might not like the facts, but facts are facts. As the American right-wing commentator Ben Shapiro says, facts don't care about your feelings. Two points on this I want to ask you. Do you think Gangster State is controversial? And then secondly, to put it on the public record, how did you research this book? And with that, all the details. You've been, you've been trawling through the Mail and Guardian archives and Sunday Times and things put out in public by government officers. That was years worth of work. So first of all, do you think your book's controversial? And second of all, the actual research, the heavy task of researching this book? Yeah, Stephen, no, certainly. The, the book is, without a doubt, highly controversial because it reflects on a very controversial figure, Mr. Eisenhower-Schule. So it was always going to be inevitable that it would ruffle feathers, you know, once I published the book. Um, Mr. Mahashule has got a very long history of corrupt or allegedly corrupt government dealings. You know, my book certainly, you know, highlights and reveals for the first time new indications of corruption involving Mr. Mahashule, but there have been for a great number of years sporadic media reports detailing Mr. Mahashule's involvement in corrupt practices, his undemocratic um, use of party structures in the ANC to remain in power, and, you know, a host of other very concerning developments around his persona in the ANC. So, you know, I, I always expected that once we, you know, I published something in a condensed form that really sort of solely focuses on Mr. Makashide. It was going to upset him, of course, and it was going to upset those who align themselves to him. So 
so to, to get to, um, you know, writing a book like this, it definitely relies on, you know, heaps and hours of research and heaps of documents, um, source accounts, government thing, the bulletins, Excel spreadsheets. It, it really is based on it. It's kind of a continuation of the kind of investigative work I would have done in any case for the normal media platforms I worked for, you know, all the work that Amal Mulgani does or Daily Maverick Scorpio or News 24's investigative team is a result of meticulous research. It's document-based. It's based on additional accounts from sources. So it really is, in this instance, you know, a, a result of prolonged research on a specific topic. I was fortunate to... I uh, obtained a grant from the Taku Kaper Fund. That, that's a fund for investigative journalism that is administered by the Wits Journalism School. That's Professor Anton Harbert's uh, department. And the, the grant funding and some additional funding from my publisher allowed me really to take the time, uh, pretty much a year, uh, just over a year, to, to really focus on the, this project on a full-time basis and focus all my efforts on, you know, traveling to the free state, meeting new sources, meeting government officials, and then, you know, starting to extract documents and records from them that allowed me to piece together this very concerning indications of a fully-fledged state capture network that had been put in place in the free state under Mr. Makhashule's uh, rule as premier of the free state. You, you traveled around widely from the book. We can see, you know, the, the amount of research that you've put in is impressive, which is why when these statements, fake news and lies, it really upsets, it's, it's really upsetting. Um, why, why Ace Makhashule? What prompted you to devote so much time to investigating mm. this man? I think um, journalism in, in general, but then also sp- specifically investigative journal- journalism, really has a responsibility and kind of a mandate to hold to account people who are in very powerful political positions or people who occupy other positions of power, whether it be in the corporate world or in government. Um, Mr. Mahashule certainly qualifies as such a candidate. You know, he held the position of Premier in the Free State for a couple of years, and now he's been, um, you know, making his progress in the ANC environment itself, all the way to the top office almost of SG, which is really considering the the functions of the Secretary General and his day-to-day tasks in the organization makes him an immensely powerful political figure in South Africa. So when somebody like Aisma Hashule, you know, has access to power and can influence literally the course of this country, I think it's very important that there is well-researched information on him made available to make the public realize that, you know, that an individual who could possibly, you know, have a real say in what policies are rolled out in government and what direction this country takes in, you know, public should be made aware of any transgressions or indications of uh, corruption or other transgressions that, that Mr. Mahashudi had perpetuated in the past. We are in conversation with Peter Louis Marburg. He's the author of the explosive book, Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Mahashudi's Web of Capture. It's published by Penguin Books, and it itself has become a news story. We'll be back with more conversation straight after this ad break. The book of love is long and boring. This is People of the Book with Stephen Kravitz. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We have the great privilege to be in conversation with newsmaker, author, journalist Peter Louis Marburg. The book is Gangster State Unraveling Aishmachashule's Web of Capture. I think if you haven't got it yet, hurry to get it before it's all sold out and you have to wait for the second printing. Peter, so, Peter, um, something that comes through very strongly in the book, you did mention it earlier, is the manipulation and abuse of party structures within the ANC. Just to give listeners a bit of a background, how's the ANC structured that this structure allows for such manipulation and abuse of party, and then mm. through the party, 
the abuse of straight state structures and how did Eif Machashule manipulate and abuse these party structures because you, you've done so much research on the actual abuses. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think this is very important for the public to understand because um, the ANC is a branch-based organization. In other words, all it's, it's, it's a um, almost a, a pyramid structure where the real power is kind of emanates from the branches and that feeds up from the bottom to the very top structure. So what that basically means is that a branch in the free state that forms part of a specific region, the decisions that are made there, in other words, the decisions around who to support at Nazrek, you know, and of course Zananda Minizuma or Ramaphosa, um, who to support for becoming the new chairperson in, in the free state or in that region, that really is the result of, you know, these uh, decisions made at these collections of branches throughout South Africa and then, you know, in, in my, my instance in this research, in the free state. But what I could establish, you know, and this is documented uh, on the hand of two consecutive court cases, uh, several sources of, for years, you know, was at a front row seat to these kind of abuses and to further uh, documents and information, I could piece, piece together how Mr. Makhashule, who really has always portrayed himself as the popular choice in the free state, you know, the people's choice, somebody who had authentic backing from the free state structures, there really is a complete opposite story at play, and that is one that includes anybody, any faction, any would-be challenger to Mahashule to become, you know, chairperson in the free state. Those individuals were completely trampled upon and sidelined and in undemocratic means, um, basically disenfranchised, and that's a word that the Constitutional Court actually used. Uh, so as to not allow their voices to be heard when these uh, supposedly democratic decisions are made at branch levels. There are instances where, you know, for instance, in going back to 2012, where there was a grouping called the Regime Change Block. They wanted to get rid of Mr. Mahashiri because back then already there were big concerns about his use of funds and patronage and corrupt networks in place. So what, what consequently happened, and this is in detail unpacked in court records and court documents, is that at branches all over the province, when the regime change groupings, you know, tried to convince branches that they should nominate other people to become leaders, you know, so they can challenge Mr. Mahashuli at the regional conferences or his followers, and then also at the provincial elective conference, at those branch meetings, sometimes literally people were by force barred from entering uh, branches. There was a habit of, at the very last minute, quickly moving the venue or the location of a branch meeting so as to sideline those who, who would have voted for Mahashiri's um, enemies. There was a habit of, um, later on people could see that there was ghost members who had voted for Mahashiri's block. In other words, people who are six feet under and who shouldn't be at branch meetings anymore. Just really a horrific saga of the ANC's own internal democratic processes being completely manipulated and abused by Mr. Mahashuli and his cohorts in the Free State to allow him to stay in power in the province. This, this, this is quite explosive, but it's just one of the many facets that you cover of this man's career in your book. Um, you also mention that members of the ANC knew about the, the type of personality that Ace Mahashula was. And in previous um, administrations, ANC, ANC, the ANC withheld the position of premiership from Ace Mahashula. And he was passed over, even though from the branch system he, was, he, he, he could prove his popularity. And... I think with most things, it's all there in the very beginning. Whether we want to recognize a person's true nature or not, it's all there in the beginning. What, what happened yeah. that previous decisions to, to, to reject him as a candidate for the, for the Free State Premiership was all overturned and then he was made the Premier? Yeah, that, that's a very interesting history, and I think it, it kind of really speaks to the ANC's, you know, very unfortunate inability to deal with its bad apples. So, just in short, 
Mr. Mafashile had a bad reputation in the struggle era already as a member of the broader kind of UDF movement that tried to dismantle the apartheid regime. There were indications of, you know, this, or at least allegations of him mismanaging struggle funds. They had threatened people who questioned their, their use of funding. And this kind of like rolled into um, the democratic dispensation when he became a MEC under Mr. Messia Lakota, then already in 1996, Mr. Lakota fires Mr. Mahashule because there was a, a very early indication of corrupt dealings at the Provincial Department of Economic Affairs where Mr. Mahashule was the Premier. And then over the course of the, you know, in, in the subsequent years, the, the indications and rumours and uh, even, you know, documented instances of alleged corruption just never ceased. And in, in light of this, Mahashule, who... Uh, probably, I would say, incorrectly, you know, labelled himself as the popular choice in the province. Like I said, I think it has more to do with province manipulation. In any case, he, he, him and his cohorts viewed themselves as the rightful heirs to the, the Free State throne. They were uh, consistently um, overlooked by the national leadership when it came to appointing premiers. So that's why you had this succession of premiers from Messia Lakota to Winky de Reco to Beatrice Marshoff, who all occupied the position of Premier ahead of Mr. Mahashule. And this really fueled um, a vast amount of, you know, political tension on the ground in the province. And, you know, one, one always has to go back and ask oneself, what, what, what was somebody like Nelson Mandela or Tom Beke or Halema Mutlante, what, what were their concerns about, you know, Mahashule's conduct and why they really thought it would be a bad idea for him to become premier. And I think, you know, this obviously it really ties into these indications of corruption. They knew that he could not be in, entrusted with a position of power. And then the key shift came, of course, you've got 2007, the power dyna dynamics start to shift, and Mr. Jacob Zuma now really starts to, um, you know, garner support in the, in the organization, and it, it looks clear that it's going to make a challenge to... Mr. Mbeki at Polokwane in 2007, and then, you know, it, by all appearances, there appears to be this deal between uh, Mr. Zuma and Mr. Mahashule that the vital, you know, branch support from the Free State would be channeled to help Mr. Zuma become, you know, PNC leader at Polokwane in 2007. And this then, by all appearances, seems to have come with the, the promise of a job as Premier, finally, for Mr. Mahashule, who then becomes premier uh, for the first time because of the first significant ANC leader to back him being Jacob Zuma, who then in 2009 allows him to become premier of the Free State. This is quite riveting political history, and in a in an election year where Eisenhower is playing such a huge role within the ANC, becomes even mm. more urgent. Um, that leads me to the next question. With so much corruption within the ANC, is there any chance of them actually cleaning up their own shop? Um, I think all eyes are on them. It's, it's, it's such an important question. It's such an important issue because the torrent of corruption revelations and corruption rumors and reports on corruption is just never ending. It's, it's absolutely ceaseless. You know, it's just good with sauce and the Kuptas and now Mahashule. And, and, and what the country really would like to see is a commitment by the president and his allies in, in, in the organization who at least try to convince the public that they are part of some sort of a new dawn renewalist uh, endeavor. They're going, going to have to, um, the proof is going to be in the pudding. You know, they, they've been making the right noises, but in terms of real um, disciplinary processes, we, we haven't seen much. And in that sense, you know, Mr. Ramaphosa and those who at least claim to want to clean up the party, they, they have a lot to account for still, uh, because in, at this juncture, it's mostly been words and, and not really much action. We are in conversation with Peter Louis Marburg, the author of The Explosive Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Mahashule's Web of Capture. He is the author also of The Republic of Gupta, 
The book is published by Penguin Books. It is available in the shops, but hurry before it all sell. They all sell out. We'll be back with more conversation. This is urgent, very, very vital conversation going into an election month next month with Peter straight after this ad break. A book of love is long and boring. This is People of the Book with Stephen Kravitz. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with journalist, author, Peter Louis Marburg. The book is Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Machashule's Web of Capture. It's published by Penguin Books. The book itself is news headline generating. It is explosive. It is urgent. It is vital that it should be read because it it touches on so many threads within our country's politics. And... Peter Louis, I'd like to ask you now. You are a journalist. You do investigative journalism. You work at one of South Africa's most important media outlets. It's the Daily Maverick. You obviously have a very great respect for freedom of the press. Ais Machashula has a history of manipulation of the media. Um, you write about his control over the Free State-based The Weekly, his campaigns against the Free State Times, and then his control over SABC regional broadcast channels. Please elaborate. Yes. So, you know, I think it's it's very important to unpack his kind of history as a media manipulator because that, of course, you know, if you have the media on your side or at least elements of the media, one, one is in a position to garner support and influence people who otherwise would have become quite critical of you. So Mahashile, there's always been these indications that he had a direct say in how government spends every single cent in the province, you know, and, and sometimes illicitly so. You know, a, a premier shouldn't directly channel contracts in any direction. They'll thin the boards and thin the committees to decide on that. But in terms of the government's media budget, there, for the first time, Mahashule formalized his capture of the, the Free State's uh, provincial coffers, and that kind of led to him having a real say in which media publications would benefit from government advertising. So what happened was, I think it was circa year 2011, 2012, there was literally a plan put in place to centralize the budget, the media buying budget, for the provincial government in the office of the premier. So that then meant that literally Mahashule and his um, colleagues in that office could decide on which media publications received ad spend. So we now know, obviously, you know, the Guptas, the New Age, they were very much a major beneficiary of uh, the, 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 the province's media budget. But then also these kind of like smaller um, localized or local media outlets um, like the, the weekly newspaper, uh, but also always, like the, like the, the, the New Age, um, never, um, you know, dared to write a single negative or critical report on Mahashile, but instead really dished up what, what can only be viewed as propaganda. Um, so if one, one kind of considers that entire context, it, it really is a situation of taxpayers' money being funneled into publications that, that dished out pro-Mahashule propaganda, which in turn obviously, you know, helped to prop up his regime or his government at times when other, um, thankfully more independent media outlets were critical of him and were exposing some of his corrupt dealings in the province. And then moving from the media manipulation to the corrupt practices, you detail very, very in superb detail all the years of Mahashula's premiership in the Orange Free State. In the first few years, you show how it was really a, an opportunity where he gave the local, uh, the locals, the opportunity to feed at the trough of state capture and bypass tender processes in order to guarantee. Um, central government funds coming into the Orange Free State, into the Free State. But then by 2012, yeah. um, you show how the corruption moved up a gear. 
by bringing in outside players from the national stage, usually linked to to Zuma, and especially the Guptas. How the orange the, the free state, I should say, the free state became an opportunity for major national players to start with all this state capture. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it was very sort of you know fascinating for me to unpack actually because. It became clear that if you consider that, you know, Mahashule already, by all appearances, illicitly channeled funds to business allies or business associates as early as 2000 and as early as 1996, you know, that's the incident that got him fired by Mr. Dakota. Um, you know, so he, he, for many years, there, there has been this band of local free state business people who've always sort of like clung to him. And we've always benefited from, you know, contracts from the department in which he was an MEC or where he held some form of, you know, decision-making powers with regards to procurement decisions. But then in 2012, about definitely, you know, so we have to remember the background, of course, like I mentioned, he became effectively a Zuma appointee when he became the premier. It was Zuma who gave him the position. And then consequently, it's very interesting to note that the the province is, in a sense, infiltrated by people who are actually traditionally uh, Zuma associates, you know, the Gupta family who employed Zuma's son, Dudizani Zuma. Um, Vivian Reddy, who's a old ally or friend of Mr. Zuma, uh, their companies or companies linked to Edison Power Group started doing major business in the free state, especially Mr. Reddy's son, uh, Shantan. Um, and then also I write about one or two other companies also who really come from outside of the, the free state fall to then join Mahashule's own business associates and his own network, you know, of contractors who, who consecutively uh, benefited from contracts that he apparently had a hand in channeling in the right direction. You know, these kind of outsiders now join um, the, these locals in the free state, and it seems like it's, it's because of this you know, this this uh, connection or this friendship with uh, President Jacob Zuma that allows them access to the, the coffers in the free state. And from covering so much about another person, the release of your book has turned you into the story as well. You've become more than just an author or a journalist. you playing a role in the wider story around the book Gangster State especially having been called a liar, your work being compared to the work of Stratcom. Then the launch of your book on Tuesday night was gatecrashed by Mahashula supporters who tore up copies of your book. They trashed the exclusive bookstore in Santon City. And then the ANC Youth League of the Free State called the public. They invited the public to a book-burning of your book next week, Monday, the 15th of April. These are pretty scary things. This is a democracy. Freedom of the press is guaranteed. Uh, This is all in the name of a man who should be standing for all these values. You showed that he doesn't. But so public uh, an affront to the the foundations of democracy. How did What happened? How did you feel when this was all happening? And what are your thoughts? Personal security? Um, is this in any way going to curtail your investigative curiosity? Yeah. Look, I think I'd like first and foremost tackle the last question, and the very short answer is no. Um, you know, we, we should not be discouraged by people who clearly do not want to partake in this uh democracy of ours and this kind of nation-building project that, that sort of, you know, all sound middle ground South Africans really want to see to come to fruition. So certainly my work continues. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's not ideal for the journalist or the investigative, investigative journalist to become the story instead of reporting on the stories. You know, I'm definitely relishing the opportunity for things to quiet down again so I can continue my research into some of the issues that are now coming to the fore, obviously, you know, the launch of a book like this one has only uh, further opened the sluices in terms of information being channeled towards, you know, myself and, you know, other people on the ground. Whistleblowers are now really coming to the fore with information that really needs to be investigated further. But, you know, sort of having said that, the, the kind of um, 
hullabaloo and the drama around the launch of the book also is an opportunity because it refocuses the public's attention on the book, you know, and I hope really that apart from all the, the loud noises and the chanting and the disruptions and the threats of book burning is that the, the general public will be encouraged to familiarize themselves with the actual issues that are raised in the book because that is really the purpose of this whole endeavor or this whole project is to um, highlight and put on the table issues that, that really are public interest matters. You know, it involves taxpayers' money. It involves failed projects, RDP projects that really were to the, the detriment of poor people in, in the free state. We know about the failed Frida Estina agriculture project. There was a, another dismal failure on behalf of Mahashule's government and the Guptas of, of people who really need to benefit from development projects such, such as that one. Um, so I, I really hope that at the end of the day, the kind of the controversy and the the noise around the book, you know, also encourages people to read it and to put pressure on, you know, whoever can still, you know, bring those in line who, who have been unearthing the book as being participants in corrupt dealings. And what you've said leads us to the next question. Where to from here with a book like this? Uh, it's explosive. You've got a lot of documented interviews and research that does point out to the type of uh, shenanigans that require further investigation. The, the ANC put out a statement that the author should go to the police with all this information. Who takes this information further and starts initiating legal proceedings? Yeah. So I think that that's very important because it's become kind of a catchphrase nowadays. Is that, you know, the journalist, why does he write the book and not lay complaints? And I think we should be very careful with how we kind of handle this whole suggestion to take it to the police. It's not a genuine attempt. Those who repeat that line uh, are people who are critical against the book. They, they are saying that um, instead of doing my duty of reporting it to the police, I instead wasted my time by writing a book. And that is completely a unrealistic reflection of how things should uh, roll out. There, there's nowhere in the world is there any precedent, precedent for investigative journalists to lay criminal charges in relation to the matters that they write about. So the, the function of a journalist, an investigative journalist, is to unearth and research new indications of possible criminal wrongdoing in some instances, and then to very publicly uh, make that information available in this instance in a book format. Or you know, wear my other hat as a Daily Maverick um, reporter on the Daily Maverick for investigative pieces. That then makes it very easy for law enforcement agencies to do their own investigative work on the issues raised in the book. They, they've got a proactive mandate also to look at indications of corruption. So this notion of a journalist first having to lay charges before the authorities can do something is absolute nonsense. It's completely misplaced and it's not accurate. There is now more than enough information available to any law enforcement entity or body who wants to look at these matters to, on their own accord, look at these issues. And keep in mind, they, they are far better equipped than myself, a sole, sole kind of lonely journalists with very limited resources, they can climb into bank records. They can, if, if there's grounds for it and they get the approvals from the necessary judges, they can get cell phone records, cell phone communications. Um, this nonsense about journalists having to lay charges before the cops can do anything needs to stop, and we really have to address this uh, in, in accuracy and this fallacy. I'm happy I've given you the opportunity to raise it here on our, on, uh, in, in the Chai FM interview. Uh, do, do you think that the NPA will continue these investigations and try to bring Ace Mahashula to book? Well, I, I think kind of like tying into what I said earlier on about the ANC, uh, the, the NPA is also now under the spotlight. It's got a new, NPA, a new di- a National Director of Public Prosecutions, of course, an advocate, Shamila Batoy who also have been making the right noises. You know, they, they've indicated that they are going to um, restructure themselves in terms of 
the capacity to investigate and prosecute corruption. We know about a new unit, a corruption or graft-busting unit that will be situated in the NPA as opposed to in the Hawks or elsewhere that will streamline the processes of investigating and um, forming prosecutable cases that can, could go to court. So on, on the surface, there, there are a couple of very positive developments, you know, a couple of indications that they are busy um, fixing themselves, as it were, because they certainly, you know, their the prosecuting capacity came to a grounding halt to a large extent when concerning large-scale corruption involving senior politicians. So I'll again say that the ball is now in their court. Um, if, if they're going to tell the public and if Mr. Ramaphosa is going to repeat this indication that his NPA is now recommitted to prosecuting cases where senior politicians are involved in, uh, the public will have to see some action at some point. You know, words will simply not be enough anymore. You've joined a select group of investigative journalists and authors whose books have the power to initiate NPA action. Uh, Jacques Poe, who's um, the President's Keepers, in, uh, was, I suppose, the best example of, 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 of this level of journalism or authorship. And also, interestingly, his book launch, I happened to be there, was also sabotaged. There, it was at Hyde Park Shopping Center. The, the entire shopping center was plunged into darkness, which I don't know what other people think, but I believe strongly was an act of sabotage in order to so try make the turn turn the book launch into a failure. Uh, so the work that you do is vital to our country, to our fledgling democracy. And um, the reason I want to give you such a long opportunity to speak is because I think this is a vital, vital topic that has to be brought to the public's attention. Gangster State also looks at a number of individuals. Some, story, the story, some of the stories are shocking. I'm going to just say a name. You're going to talk about it. I hope I pronounce it correctly. Nobi Ngombani. Yes. So Nobi Ngombani was a official in Beatrice Marshall's office in around 2005. You know, Marshall being the, the predecessor as Premier of the Free State to Mr. Mahashile. And he was gunned down. He was murdered in 2005 in Bloemfontein. At the time, there was a a very strong and a long-running political tension between the two main rival factions in the Free State. That would be the the northern faction led by Mr. Mahashuli and then a so-called southern faction that is kind of seated around Bloemfontein and who mostly kind of, um, you know, provided the the premiers that, that preceded Mr. Mahashuli. So there's always been this deep-seated hatred from the northern side because... They viewed these kind of like premiers who were imposed upon them, you know, from the outside, from the national leadership as being aligned to this southern faction, while, of course, Mr. Mahashire thought that he should have been premier a long, long time ago. So it's kind of in this context, you know, this context of really deep-seated hatred between various, you know, political factions and involving Mr. Mahashire too, that Mr. Ngombani was murdered. So I just want to point out that the book doesn't claim that Mr. Mahashule was responsible for the murder or that he orchestrated it. But what I do by in, in the chapter by unpacking new information that I, that I had obtained is to indicate that the, the subsequent police investigation seems to have been a complete cover-up. Um, the police seemingly, there was an international sound expert that they used in the initial trial. So they, they arrested the, the wife of Mr. Ngombani, Mr. Nkwana Ngombani, and some of the family members and put them on trial for murder. And some of the key evidence that, that could have pointed to their innocence was withheld from experts who testified in court by the police. Um, and subsequently, later on, the, the NPA had to withdraw their charges. They couldn't prosecute them because there wasn't any evidence linking Anugambani's family to their death. So while the public's attention was focused on the family, 
as being the supposed perpetrators, there was no attempt made by the police to investigate a possible political motive, which is really startling if you consider that, you know, shortly before his murder, uh, for instance, Mr. Ngombani was in a very heated argument with uh, Mr. Mahashuli and a bunch of his allies from the Northern Faction at a, um, with, with, um, Ms. Marshal of the Premier at the, the, the main, um, you know, office building of the, the, the provincial government in Bloemfontein. And what, what I'm just trying to say is that the, um, the fact that the police didn't make any attempt to at least investigate the possibility that some of these tensions and hatred towards Mr. Ngumbani, who was kind of viewed as a ally of Ms., uh, you know, a staunch ally of uh, Ms. Marshall, the Premier, you know, the fact that the police never even tackled this possibility of political murder certainly points to a unfinished and poorly handled police investigation. And there certainly there, there are many people in the free set today who I speak to in the book and the stories I tell, some of them moved very close to Mahashiri, say that at least, you know, the police should have interviewed them too. You know, Mr. Mahashiri and some of his allies should have formed the focus of the police investigation, and it just never seemed to have occurred. And definitely, in light of that, there, there should really be renewed calls for uh, looking at this matter from anew to, to see if there might have been a political assassination at, at play during that time. We are in conversation with Peter Louis Mayberg, the author of The Explosive Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Machashule's Web of Capture. It's published by Penguin Books. It is in the shops. It is a very important book documenting Ace Machashule's career and a lot of issues and events within the ANC. We'll be back with more questions, more conversation. More insights straight after this ad break. The book of love is long and boring. This is People of the Book with Stephen Kravitz. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with Pilui Marburg. The book is Gangster State Unraveling Ace Machashule's Web of Capture. And Peter Louis has managed to turn the orange, no, sorry, the free state into riveting reading. I think that's one of the, one of the un, uncrowned glories of the book, that the free state has become a, a center of such intense interest. So many people came forward and spoke with you while you were researching this book. And then we have the two great leaks within South African recent history, what you call the ego leaks and also the Gupta leaks. There is quite a groundswell of support from people in the country to try to get to the bottom of the, the state of capture and the state of corruption within South Africa. How do you experience this? Yeah, so firstly, yeah, I think it, the ego files really for me forms a, a core part of the book you know, because of the fact that, you know, based on these leaked documents and bank records and statements, we can now forensically link Marcus Schulet to being implicated in cash flows, taxpayers' money being flushed from the free state provincial coffers and then being used for all manner of illicit purposes, you know, party political purposes, uh, flushing money to his own, you know, business associates and so on. And really, you know, in, in, in very direct terms, his fingerprints are all over this deal because of the fact that the leaked emails indicate that, you know, sometimes his sort of PAs told this businessman who had gotten the contract that the premier wants you to pay the money here or there. So really, it's, it's a case of almost Gupta Leaks-esque, you know, um, forensic records implicating Mahashiri and all of this. So I think that, w- that was really important, especially considering the fact that, you know, Mahashule has a reputation as somebody who does cover his tracks very well. You know, I mentioned that in the book is somebody that, you know, allegedly when he took bribes, it was done in cash. There was always this mention of cash payments. Um, you know, now it's not, not only myself saying this anymore. Mr. Nkolisi Dukwana, former MEC in his provincial cabinet, of course, on Friday, told the Zondo Commission of Inquiry that he was also aware of the fact that Mahashule was receiving cash payments from the Guptas in relation to the 
Jagersfontein mine. So it really is important to, on the one hand, you know, have cognizance of the fact that you know a lot of this might be cash-based, but then also now through the eagle files at least, we can pinpoint these direct involvement in what appears to be a corrupt, a massive corrupt government deal for the 255 million rand asbestos audit. We've got time for maybe one or two more questions. Uh, I don't want to stop the interview, but we only have an hour slot for the book show. I'm going to read two extracts, two short paragraphs from the book, because I think no one else can put it in a clearer way than you've already done. The first one is on page 179, about 300 kilometers from Nkandla. Residents of the eastern Free State town of Frieda were looking forward to receiving new houses of their own. In August 2013, the same month in which Zuma handed over the houses built by Kaya Redikit in Natal, the council of the Fumilela local municipality, which includes Frieda, approved a layout plan for 1,700 new residential urban on the town's outskirts in order to house people from the nearby Timbalihle township. What the poor township residents did not know was that powerful politicians were allegedly concocting plans to capture the budget for this new development. Their hopes of becoming homeowners would eventually be dashed by the very leaders who were supposed to have looked after their interests. And then the second um, short extract is from page 193. Since coming to power, the ANC has consistently promised to tackle South Africa's alarmingly high unemployment rate. President Cyril Ramaphosa renewed the ANC's vows regarding job creation at the party's 2019 election manifesto launch in Durban. Considering some of the characters who shared the stage with him at this event, the declaration was a farce. Not only has the ANC government continuously failed to make meaningful inroads into reducing unemployment, but some of its top leaders have actively destroyed existing jobs through their questionable conduct. Secretary-General Ayus Makhashule is one such leader. This is powerful, but what you're saying is based, it's, it's not opinion, it's conclusions based on a lot of evidence. You're reaching the natural conclusion that I think anyone who has looked at the facts will reach. South Africa is a democracy. In a mature democracy, we expect voters to take note of politicians and political parties, see how their behavior their track record aligns with them, the voters' own needs, and then vote accordingly. Is this going to happen in South Africa? The people who have been denied houses, the people who have not gotten jobs because of ANC corruption, mm. ANC state capture, poor leadership, are they going to look and uncover and get to the real truth of what has happened in their own country. Yeah, look, Stephen, I think that's such an important issue to raise, you know, because information and access to information is such a key ingredient and element in our democratic system, you know, the democratic dispensation. I believe that, you know, just to kind of like, you know, the, the disruptors at last night's event, for instance, you know, they are completely out of touch with individuals in the province who I'm in contact with who really um, in a very gross manner are uh, being, being sidelined or disadvantaged by some of these deals impact in the book. So I think the the more these issues can, can really be brought under the attention of potential voters, more people can understand sort of the mechanics of the deals that their elected leaders make and that then disadvantage them. Of course, you know, we'll, we'll have a healthier political dispensation and a political climate because that, that leads to accountability uh, by means of voting for, you know, other parties or other people, whatever the case might be. And I think, you know, I, I want to remain hopeful. I want to think that, um, you know, our sort of general access to information is improving that a growing number of people are engaging with actual, you know, with 
important news stories, news developments, have access to, you know, mainstream media platforms that report on these issues and investigative outlets. I, I really hope that is the case. My, my only concern is that um, whilst this is happening, there, there's still a very strong, um, you know, element in society that does not tolerate, you know, free speech and critical reporting such as this and, you know, events where, where issues are spoken about openly, you know, without fear of intimidation. So I think there's, there's definitely kind of, you know, these kind of contrasting sort of almost, um, you know, a, a battle of, you know, political ideas and a, a battle of political commitments to, you know, free speech and accountability in the country at, at play at the moment. And, and I really hope that the the element of South Africa that, that contains South Africans who believe in a better future and who believe in free and, you know, open media and a strong media that does hold the, the government to account and elected leaders to account, that they are allowed to do their work and, you know, without fear, unpack these very important issues that I, that I hope have been raised in the book now. And we're almost at the very end of our discussion on gangster state. Have you identified the target of your next book? You don't have to tell us who it is if you have, but is there is have you started giving thought to what next? Yeah, look, I, I think at, at this juncture I'll, I'll just uh, continue my work at Daily Maverick because there's there's so much that flows from this now that that needs that requires further research and investigation. So. I mean, that that might keep me busy for the foreseeable future, but you now having said that, I'll, I'll definitely um, definitely like to write a, a another book. And yeah, as, as soon as I have a bit of time to consider, you know, what what needs to be unpacked in in a longer format, I'll start to brainstorm some ideas and and see where my my mind takes me. Thank you for giving your time so generously. And for sharing your thoughts, your, your work with us. And I think on behalf of all of our, all of our listeners, and I should say on behalf of the, the South African public, thank you for taking the effort going through this year long, or even more than a year long research pro- process to sh- cast a bright light on some really shady corners of our recent history. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen, and thanks for HFM support. I really appreciate that. This was our interview with Peter Louis Marburg, the author of Gangster State, Unraveling Ace Machashule's Web of Capture. It's published by Penguin, and it is available in the shops. Get it before it's all sold out, and uh, read it. This is an election year, and it's always good to know what's happening in our democracy.